The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. There's some things that uh, the Lord's table reveals. There's some things that it reveals about us. There's things that it reveals about believers. Uh, and uh, sometimes we come and again... In the, in the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, we go to 1 Corinthians 11 all the time when we do the Lord's table, don't we? And we read from 1 Corinthians 11, the instruction that Paul uh, had written on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church on how they were to remember Christ and observe the Lord's table. And the, the problem with the Corinthian church and why they needed so much instruction was not that because they were so mature and such, they were such a great church. Think about this. The Corinthian church was a carnal church. The Corinthian church was a church that had so many problems. The Corinthian church uh, had so many problems that that they were actually gathering together to observe the Lord's Supper, and it was like a party for them. They were coming to have a feast. They were coming to be filled. They were coming as uh, people who just wanted to uh, consume it on their own lust. They, They had desires. They wanted to eat, so they came. It was like almost like having some kind of a church potluck. They would come and they would eat and it would be, there would be a party spirit. It would be uh, something to where they were just eating and drinking and and being merry. But something interesting about the Lord's table, the Lord's table is all about remembering the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a party as much as it's, it's a purifying thing to God's church. It's something that we do to remember the death. The Bible says we do show the Lord's death until he come uh, through the Lord's table. And this church where we read this instruction from 1 Corinthians 11 was, was uh, having this party. They were eating the food. They were kind of consuming it lustfully. And, and Paul was correcting them by giving them the instruction. It's interesting that in 1 Corinthians, we get some great uh, verses as we go to 1 Corinthians 13. How many love 1 Corinthians 13? The love chapter, right? Read at every wedding. Uh, uh, you have the love chapter, but you know what the problem was? The problem with that is that Paul was talking to a church that only loved themselves. He wasn't talking to a church that was great at love. He was talking to a church that was great at loving themselves and doing for themselves. He was actually, he was actually challenging them and condemning them for their lack of love, for their lust, for their desires. And sometimes we kind of rend things from context and we don't think about uh, the instruction that the Lord's given. But think about this time at the table and what it revealed about the disciples, there's some things that it revealed. Well, it, re- it revealed, number one, tonight, the, the presence of treachery. There was somebody at the table who was not truly a believer, somebody who seemed to be a believer, someone who acted feigned to be a believer, someone who knew how to act, knew how to talk, knew what he had to do. He, he had followed the Lord Jesus Christ, but uh, he, he kind of... Uh, he, he was there, but nobody perceived but Jesus that he was a traitor. And, uh, you know, he had already done what he did. He had already sold the Lord. If you remember, he had already had the meeting. He had already received the money. He had already taken uh, the, the 30 pieces of silver. Uh, he knew what he was doing. He did it on purpose. He came to the table knowing he had already in his heart took the money for betraying the Lord. Can you imagine sitting at the table next to Lord Jesus Christ having already sold him, having already betrayed him, and sitting there thinking, at, and while Jesus put him in the seat of honor, while he was there in the seat of honor, 
Jesus, knowing what he was doing, you see, when Jesus was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. Uh, when when he was when he he loved his enemies, he did good to those that that used him. Uh, he did good to those that betrayed him. Jesus was living out what he had been preaching. There was an enemy in their midst that wasn't even perceived uh, among them. Uh, can I say this tonight, as as God's church? You know that there is an enemy that is very real, uh, and he is in this world today, and. He's not, uh, he's not somebody with a, a long tail and a pitchfork with some horns. Uh, somebody that you can identify and go, oh yeah, that's the devil. He's a deceiver. He disguises himself as an angel of light. He looks good. He looks religious. He looks like someone who would never do something wrong, although he is the enemy of God. You think about what he's going to be in the book of Revelation. He's going to be the anti-Christ. Notice his mimicking of Jesus He's mimicking of Christ. He even mimics the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. He mimics the Trinity of God. He mimics Christ in his behavior and the fact that he's going to promise peace to the world, that he's going to come and people... Hey, listen, the Antichrist is going to be loved by the world. People are going to think he's going to be a wonderful guy, a religious guy, someone who talks about God, someone who acknowledges God, not, not somebody who we, we would think a, a, a worshiper of Satan or, or, or somebody who we'd see as being dark or uh, somebody that we would think, oh, that's evil. It's interesting because that is the devil, isn't it? He, is, he's, uh, he was an angel. Uh, he's an angel that had, uh, was fallen, cast out, uh, but created by God to be one of the most marvelous, beautiful angels in all the world, but he's an enemy. Isn't he our enemy tonight? Uh, we, we kind of think of the, the devil in a way of, oh, it, it's easily identified. I tell you tonight, our enemy is subtle, our enemy is slick, uh, our enemy is deceitful, and he, he tricks believers, doesn't he? There were some believers around the table, and the devil himself was present. The Bible says that Satan entered into Judas, and he's there, and the, the, the disciples are not even perceiving the fact that he's there. You know, the Bible talks about in the church that even there are wolves that are in sheep's clothing. There are people that pretend to be believers. There are people that act to be believers, but they go about devouring the sheep. They go about hurting the church. They go about dividing the church. They perceive, they're perceived to be believers, but they're not believers. There's some things that are revealed by the Lord's table. Uh, uh, that uh, There's a treachery revealed. Not only that, but how about this? There was worldliness in the, in the disciples that was revealed. Think about the disciples. They're there at the table. The Bible says in verse number 24 that there was a strife among them. Think about what Jesus said. Jesus said in verse 15, I've desired to eat this Passover uh, with desire. I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Jesus is telling his disciples, I want to spend this time with you. I want to fellowship with you. I desire to commune with you. I desire to fellowship with you. I want to spend time with you before I suffer. Jesus had told them about his impending death. Jesus had told them what he was going to do, be falsely accused, that he was going to be beaten and that he was going to be nailed to a cross, that he was going to be killed. But there was going to be a betrayal that would come. And notice what they're doing at the table. Um, Parents, you might know what this is like. Uh, you want a peaceful evening, you sit down at the table, but there seems to be some strife around the table. Sometimes it can come from the children, those that may be uh, not perceiving 
the purpose for the gathering, if you would. You know why people, only by pride cometh contention, but you know why people uh, fight? Why do we fight? Because we're selfish. Why do we fight? Because we're self-centered. Why do we fight? Because we're only thinking of ourselves. Why do we argue? Why do we have contention? Why do we have strife? Because we're prideful. Here's his disciples, and they're sitting around the table, and Jesus is talking about going to the cross. Jesus is talking about dying. Jesus is even depicting his death through the body, through the bread, and through the, uh, through, through the, uh, through the juice. And they're there at the table, and they're about to have it. And uh, they start to, start to argue about who's the greatest. They start to contend about who's the most important. That they start to, uh, to, to tell each other, hey, I think I'm going to be the most important because I've, I've done this, this, and this. Uh, I think that I would be the greatest because I've accomplished all. Oh, Jesus, I, I think I would be the greatest, and they're fighting. Now, uh, as parents, I know that at the table, it probably gives you no pleasure when there's arguing and strife going on. As a matter of fact, uh, the worst kind of meal is a meal where there's strife, isn't it? doesn't help you to, to, to uh, have fellowship. It doesn't help you to... To, to even digest your food. It's a, it's a terrible time when you have strife around the table. As a matter of fact, we come around the table to have unity, don't we? Isn't that why we come together? As families, we gather around the table for a meal because we want to have unity. Think about this. As a church, we gather around the table because we want to have unity. But isn't it interesting because of sometimes tradition and because of our, our being used to doing this? Um, you ever take something for granted? You know... Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, if I couldn't meet with the church, I might think differently about the gathering. I might have wished that maybe I had been a little bit more thoughtful when I did gather, if I, if I wasn't able to meet. Uh, how about this? If I could never have a meal with my family again, I might think about the times that I did have meals and, and wish that I could have them again. You know, it, it's, it's interesting because sometimes we don't really appreciate something until it's gone. You think about what was, good, what was about to happen. This was the last time they were going to sit down and eat with Jesus, but they didn't think about that, did they? This was the last time they were going to gather physically and have him present in their midst, but they weren't thinking about that. They weren't focused on Christ at all. They were only focused on themselves. I, I'll tell you tonight, church, uh, some, sometimes it's so revealing, even when we gather together as a church, is how selfish and immature we truly are. When we come together and we only think of ourselves, we come together and we argue amongst ourselves, when we come together and we, we want people to think that we're the greatest, we're trying to jockey ourselves for a position of popularity, uh, don't tell me that that doesn't happen within the church. It happens all the time. As a matter of fact, it's an easy place for it to happen. Don't we have to consider ourselves because there's a temptation, there's a draw for that to take place. There's a reminder to us that when we gather that we are to consider one another, that we're to esteem one another better than ourselves, that we're to put, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. These are things that Paul is instructing in the epistles to the church about their gatherings when they come together. Don't think of yourself, he says. Don't come for yourself, he says. When you come, don't sit and do nothing. Serve someone, he says. Uh, these are the instructions that he tells us in, in the church, but sometimes, hey, we get it so backwards. We think it's about, hey, I'm going to come, and I'm going to sit, I'm going to be I'm going to be served. You know, when those disciples sat down, let's be honest, they were a little snotty. They were a little snobby. They were thinking only who was going to serve them. As a matter of fact, the only thing that really revealed this to them was when Jesus got up from the table, 
and he girded himself with a towel. And he took a basin, and he got down on his knees, and he began to wash the disciples' feet. Listen, it got quiet. It got a little real. It got a little serious. Why is he, why is the master doing this? Why is he serving us? See, not only did it reveal treachery, not only did it reveal immaturity and worldliness, but revealed something much deeper. The intense purpose for which disciples are to be known. Love. Jesus said, By this shall men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Jesus came near to Peter, and what did Peter say? No, Lord. No, you're not going to wash my feet. You're not going to wash my feet. No, Jesus said, no, no, Peter. You need your feet washed. I'm going to wash your feet. Peter always argued with the Lord. People uh, contend that Peter and and kind of get uh, uh, angry at Peter or or accuse Peter. I've even heard whole messages about Peter following from afar off. He should have never followed from afar off. He should have been near. He should have been close. He should have been following. The truth is that Peter should have never been following him. Had Peter listened to the Lord's warning, the Lord's instruction, no, Peter would have never denied the Lord had he not followed the Lord to the place of the court the place where he was falsely accused. Jesus had told him, didn't he? He says, you can't follow after me. You can't go here. It's interesting, John didn't follow. Some of you think, why is Peter the only one following? Well, Peter's the only one following because Peter was the only one disobeying. The other disciples were staying away because Jesus told them to stay away. But Pete, not Peter. No, I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to do what I think is right, not what he told me is right. Peter got himself in trouble, didn't he? He put himself in a place of temptation, even though the Lord warned him for that. And here Peter's around the table. Jesus girds himself with a towel. Come on, have you ever thought you were doing really good and found out later that you weren't? Thought, boy, I'm really doing, boy, the Lord's really going to appreciate me. Look at all that I do. Look at all that I'm doing. And, And sometimes, listen, that pride creeps in and we think we're doing so good. Because we're doing these things and people may be observing and seeing what a great leader, what a great spiritual person that we are. And But him that thinketh he standeth, take heed lest he fall. You know, Peter, it revealed his, his, uh, the fact that he was going to deny the Lord Jesus Christ. He would not lose the gift of eternal life, but he would disobey the Lord. He would jeopardize his discipleship, wouldn't he? His fellowship with the Lord, what did he do? He stopped following him altogether, went back to his former profession. He went back to being a fisherman. He stopped. What did Jesus have to do? He had to go back to Peter and call him again, didn't he? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter got frustrated with the Lord over that whole altercation. Boy, it's it's hard when you get rebuked, isn't it? Thankfully, Peter took it with patience, and Peter submitted to God and begin to follow again. You say, what's all this about? Well, there's some things that the Lord's Supper reveals in the church. Sometimes for the Corinthian church, it revealed their worldliness, not their unity. See, this can go two ways tonight. We can observe the Lord's Supper and we could say, well, this is really great. Boy, we just, we had a good time. This is what we did. It was, it was a good, tradi- it's a good tradition to have. We think well of ourselves for doing it. 
Or we could make much of Jesus tonight. We could think of only Christ and not us. We could think not so much of what this does for us as much as the fact that we remember the Lord Jesus Christ and we want to serve him and we want to uh, come together and serve one another and say, hey, listen, this is important that we do this, that we remember the Lord. Uh, can, I, can I say tonight one of the best things you can do for yourself when you think much of yourself is to remember the gospel. Remember what you were. You say, well, I wasn't, I wasn't a bad person. No, but you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were under the wrath of God. You were about to face the wages of sin, which is death. You know, even good people die and go to hell. It's a sad realization when we get to it. We think, well, good people don't. No, good people do. The only thing, the only thing that makes us righteous is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not our actions. It's not our uh, it's, it's, it's not our, 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 our upbringings. It's not the will of our flesh. It's not the will of man, but it's the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that cleanses us from our sin. Listen, if we come together tonight to think a lot of ourselves, look at us. It snowed today and we came to church. Look, look at us. I mean, we're, 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 at least we're coming together. You know, it's sad sometimes we do that and think, well, I'm here and so-and-so's not, so I must be better than them. All the people that didn't come, but we're here. We're the, we're the, uh, the few, the proud, right? That's a bad position to be in, isn't it? We shouldn't be the proud at all. We should be looking to serve. As a matter of fact, we should be more like Jesus, who in his darkest hour washed feet. Uh, who in his darkest hour gave the seat of honor to the one that would betray him. Who in his darkest hour handed this up. Hey, listen, you know when you serve someone first, you're honoring them? You know who Jesus served first? Judas. Judas. He served him first. Now, Judas couldn't handle it. He took this up and he left. He didn't partake. He exited because it wasn't for him to take. As a matter of fact, boy, that was a very convicting thing, wasn't it? The Bible says, in so doing, now shall he coals of fire on their head. Be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, too many of us don't think that works. It works. Jesus is there, the greatest enemy, his greatest enemy enters into Judas himself, and Jesus serves him. Can I remind you tonight that Jesus washed Judas's feet too? He washed his feet. Jesus, as he was speaking there at the table, he says, He says, and you're all clean, but not all. You're not all clean. There's one here that's not clean. There's one here that's not saved. There's one here that's not a believer. Not only does it reveal some things to us, but it causes us to remember some things. And I'm done tonight. Let me take you to 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. 1 Corinthians and chapter number 11. Let's look there tonight. And we'll go to the text that we're going to go to as we observe the Lord's table tonight again. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, verse number 23. Let me back, back up to verse number 16. Remember the kind of church that he's instructing, a carnal, an immature church. He says, but if any man seemed to be contentious, 
We have no such custom, neither the churches of God. Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be what? Divisions among you. Notice what he says. And partly, I believe it. There was a reason for him to believe it. The church at Corinth was a very divided church. The church at Corinth was a very carnal church. The church at Corinth was a very contentious church. I wonder what we're known for. Verse 19, For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. This is not, this is not so that we can have a meal. That's what he's saying to them. For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry and another is drunken. What have you not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God and shame that, uh, that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. And interesting, we usually jump right to verse 23. That kind of gives it a whole new light, doesn't it? Then he says this, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in what, church? In remembrance of me. Jesus states one of the purposes for the Lord's Supper, and I would say probably the greatest purpose, that we would remember him that we would remember him. You ever um, forget something important? I mean, we do it all the time. But it would be sad that the church would gather and not remember Christ. It would, it would be sad that we would come together and not even think of Christ. We think of our music, and we think of our fellowship, and we think of our classes, and we think of our whatever we think of. But we don't think of Jesus be a sad thing if we come to gather together and we don't think of Christ. I mean, isn't it supposed to be all about Christ? Uh, I know that we can't physically see him, but shouldn't we spiritually not, uh, be spiritual enough to acknowledge him tonight? That all, in all things he might have, the Bible says, the preeminence. That he is where our minds are tonight. Where's your mind tonight? Where's your mind tonight? Is it on Christ? Is it on Christ? Uh, you say, well, it's on Christ, but... Where's it at next? Because it's supposed to be on Christ and it's supposed to be on his church. On Christ and in his church, a lot of times we think of Christ and we think of us first, right? Okay, I'll put Jesus first, but then me. I like what we teach the kids, the, uh, the acrostic to joy. Jesus, others, and then you, right? Put others first. Others before others. Others, Lord, others. Let this my motto be. I, I want to live for others. So I might be like thee. Jesus, didn't he live for others? But so, so often we come together and we only think of ourselves. Listen, if it's hard for you to serve someone else, you might want to check who you're thinking of first. If it's hard for us to do something, listen, when you call uh, to serve other people, you say, well, I'm busy, I'm doing this, and I'm busy, and I'm doing that, and I'm busy, I'm doing that. Isn't it interesting? We're always busy doing what we're doing but we are too busy to serve others. Jesus said, if you're serving me, you're serving others. We're not too busy to serve others. We're to serve others. It's 
to remember Him. It's a simple observance here. Use the basic elements of a humble Jewish meal. Jesus sanctified the simple things and used them to convey profound truths, didn't He? It was to remind us, it's a memorial feast to remind the believer that Jesus Christ gave His body and blood for the redemption of the world. You know, um, there's no suggestion in any of these accounts that anything miraculous took place when Jesus blessed the bread and cup. It's interesting because a lot of what's traditionally tied to churches observing communion is that when we get the bread and we get the cup, there's some kind of miracle that happens to it. The truth is, is there's nothing miraculous that happens to the elements. There's something miraculous that's supposed to happen to us. The elements are not the important thing. Get this. In baptism, there's two ordinances that God's given to the church, the Lord's table and baptism. They're the only two that God's given to the church. And in baptism, the significant thing about baptism is never the water. There's no miracle in the water. There's a miracle in the person. Isn't that interesting? Because in obedience, the miracle happens within us. It doesn't happen without us. You know, a a wicked generation looks for a sign. We don't need something miraculous to happen to the elements tonight. We need something miraculous to happen to us tonight. We need a change in our hearts. We need a change in our minds. We need a, a, a Holy Spirit cleansing within us ourselves. You know, uh, we didn't come to feed our bellies tonight. We came to sanctify our bodies, to set them apart for service to God, to be holy and blameless, the sons of God without rebuke, in a, in a dark, wicked world. That's what he's called us, and when we partake, we identify ourselves with his body and blood. But there's no suggestion here that we're actually receiving his body and blood. We're identifying ourselves with the body and blood. But can I say this tonight? We're not cannibalizing Jesus. We're not eating him. We're not drinking him. As a matter of fact, I think that would be a gross representation tonight. I have no desire to cannibalize Christ. But I do have a desire to be like Christ. I want to be like him. I want my heart to be like his. I want my mind to be like his. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So it's to remember him. A second remembrance, because it's a call to remembrance, is the proclaiming of his death until he returns. Look at verse number 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death until he comes. The supper encourages us to look back with love for what he did on the cross, and look forward with hope to his coming again. Think about this. We do show the Lord's death till he comes. We believe he's coming back. Yes, we believe that tonight. I hope that you believe that in your heart. I hope that, I mean, that's real to you. Like, he is actually coming back. It's not just something we say. It's not just a doctrine that we believe. It's it's something we actually anticipate, hopefully, Not hopeful like I hope it happens, but hopeful in that it is going to take place, and now it's the hope that's within me. I understand uh, that we are showing the Lord's death in the past, but we are waiting for the Lord's return in the future. That's what we look to tonight. 
We commemorate the past, but then we prepare for the future. We prepare for Christ's coming again. You know, what's the sad thing is, is that the Jews missed the first coming of the Messiah, didn't they? He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. They missed the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. They missed what was right in front of them. The Messiah was there, Jesus. It would be sad if in, like the Jews, missed the first coming. It would be sad if we didn't prepare for the second coming. Because didn't they have all the prophecies about his first coming? Didn't, didn't, didn't uh, it tell them that it was going to take place? Well, we can kind of understand that because don't we have the prophecies of the second coming? How often do you think about it? Are you ready for it? Are you ready for the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you ready for him to come? If you're not a believer tonight, you're not ready for his coming because you'll stand before his judgment. But if you are a believer tonight, you're not ready for his coming if you haven't stewarded your talents. You with me? When he comes, what are we going to give an account for? Thank God, believers, thank God we're not going to give an account for our sins. He's not going to come and question me about the things that I've done that are wrong, but he is going to question me about how I lived the life that he gave me. What did I do with it? I'm going to give an account for my words. You with me? I'm going to give an account for my words. You are going to give account for your words. Think about that. That means spoken words, thought words, texted words. You're going to give an account for what you did with your words. How did you use your words? You're going to give an account for what you did in your works. What did you do? Well, I had the talent and I buried it, Lord. I still have it. You're back and I'm here and I still got what you gave me. Unprofitable, he's going to say. You did not bring a profit. Interesting that God wants a profit from us. He gave something to us. He expects us to use it to his glory. He doesn't want us to sit on it. He wants us to serve with it. You're going to give an account for your words. You're going to give an account for your works. You're going to give an account for your will. Think about our attitude as God's church, our will. Did we live for his will or ours? I would challenge you, uh, even for a day, but I would say for a week, write down everything you spend money on and everything you do. Take a tally of it. And then at the end of the day, write down which of it was for Jesus and which of it was for you. It's a good way to say, hey, am I spending wisely? Am I using my resources? It's not a just, you know, they tell you that's a good financial practice, but it would be a good spiritual practice for us. Did I use this well? Did I do uh, with this what the Lord wanted me to do with it? Did, did I use my time the way that the Lord wanted to use my time? You know, we don't really take, uh, uh, we don't really realize how much time we waste until we give an account for it, do we? You ever uh, look at your checkbook at the end of the day? You know, a lot of people don't even keep a tally anymore because we've got that running online tally. But you ever go back and look at that list and really look at it? They've got these neat things. My bank does this thing now where it 
it graphs everything according to how you spent your money. And it tells you what you spent on food, entertainment, just goes through all the other things. I wonder, what does that graph look like spiritually for the Lord? Because the Bible says you're going to give an account, right? So what does an accountant do? Well, he audits you. He looks at everything that you do. So what is the Lord going to do for us? Well, he's going to take an audit of your life. Anybody excited about getting audited? Auditing is not something any of us get excited about, even if we're not doing anything wrong. It's a very sobering thing, isn't it? So you know what the Lord says? There's going to be an audit of your life. Make sure that your paperwork is in order. Make sure that there's purity in your life. Make sure that you're doing what the Word of God... Make sure that your thoughts and intents... Hey, listen, don't with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of the Lord, do the will of God from the heart. You know, the Bible says that everything that we've done for only for ourselves, even if it was a deed, so-called deed in the church, but it was only done for us, that it's just going to be wood, hay, and stubble at the end. It's just going to be burn up. But the things that we've done from our hearts to the Lord, hey, rewards. I don't know about you, but when I get to the judgment seat of Christ, I want rewards. I want rewards. Um, was teasing somebody the other day. I'm glad that Jesus and not Steve Harvey has given out the crowns in heaven. How about you? You know, Jesus truly knows. He knows. He's given the crowns. You know what we're going to do with those crowns? Cast them at Jesus' feet. I want to have something to worship God with. I want my life to be something to where I could cast it at Jesus' feet. To throw, hey, you know what? That's going to be an offering time you're looking forward to. Where we take everything that we've been rewarded with in life and we throw it at Jesus' feet. We say, you're worthy to receive blessing and honor and glory and power. He's worthy, isn't he? The last purpose tonight, third blessing and purpose from the supper is the reminder of the unity of the church. Think about this. 1 Corinthians 10, 17. Look at 1 Corinthians 10, 17. For we being many are one bread and one body. For we are all partakers of that one bread. We're one loaf. We're one bread. We're one body. It's not, ex- it's not the exclusive property of any Christian denomination or group. We're one body. We're, we're, we're one body in Christ. Whenever we share in the Lord's table, we're identifying with Christians everywhere in this world. Think about that. We're reminded of our obligation to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, Ephesians 4.3. You know, for us to receive a spiritual blessing from the supper, it takes more than just physically showing up. It takes more than taking the wafer and putting it to your lips and drinking the cup. The Bible says this. Look at 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine. For he that eateth and drinketh, what? Unworthily. Eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not what? Discerning the Lord's body. You know what that identifies? Someone that participated, but someone who wasn't discerning. 
You could show up tonight. You could participate tonight. But you could not receive the blessing tonight because you're not discerning the Lord's body. You're eating and drinking unworthily. You know, there's the spiritual truths that are inherent, inherent in the bread and the cup. The spiritual discernment comes from the Spirit using the Word. The Holy Spirit makes all of this real to us, and we wait before the Lord at the table. You know, um, following the, the Lord's Supper, Jesus taught His disciples many of the truths that they desperately needed to know in order to have an effective ministry in a hostile world. We, we talked about this on Wednesday night, if you were here but some of the things that Jesus gave them hope to their troubled hearts about. But I wonder tonight, will we be discerning, I mean, in how we do this? I know that uh, I've presented the message to you, and I know that we've looked at the text together. But sometimes we can even get the instruction and still not follow it. We can even be admonished and still not obey still not listen. I think if we're truly going to be worthy tonight, we need to plead the power of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I would say this tonight. If there's any unconfessed sin in your life, get it right before we do this. And by the way, that's not just some kind of quick cleansing so that I can drink without guilt. That's me being purposeful, being honest before the Lord and saying, Lord, search me. Try me. I don't, I don't, want, it, I don't want tradition tonight. I don't, I don't want tradition tonight. I want to spend some time around the table with Jesus. Can we do that? Can we do that tonight? It's going to take us putting thoughts of ourselves out, desiring to serve one another, to have unity in the church, but purity in God's church. If there's any known sin in your life, you ought to confess it to the Lord. The Bible says that he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you. And you know what? Truly confession, confession truly, repentance truly, is saying, I don't want to do this anymore. If you're just coming and saying, God, cleanse me for this one time so that I can do this spiritual thing, you're truly not being discerning of the, of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance is not getting a cleansing so that I can go back to it. Repentance is saying, I don't ever want to go back to this anymore. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.